Welcome to White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk once more beside me on White Shores to talk about the real meaning of life and the true power of what is unseen. Let's discuss dreams, intuition, manifesting, as above, so below, angels, afterlife, the science of consciousness, and other infinite possibilities within and all around you. I hope every episode informs, inspires, and illuminates. So, now the scene is set, allow the grey rain curtain of this world to roll back and all to turn to silver glass. Let's walk barefoot together on the gentle, glistening sands of white shores to see what mystery lies beyond the material. Thank you for arriving safely on White Shores, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Miraculous guest I have for you today, a miraculous medium medium who probably needs no introduction. I'm sure you've heard of him. His name is Gordon Smith, and he is known as the UK's most accurate medium. Now, his career began at the age of 24 when another medium told him that one day he would be on the platform, and that was the start of a legendary career, and I couldn't be more honoured to have him here today. He used to work as a barber, so he's often known as the psychic barber. I love that. (laughs) And his career has spanned science, uh, the mainstream media, workshops, personal demonstrations, and so, so much that I want to stop talking now and open up the floor to Gordon. Hello, Gordon. Hello, Teresa. It's my pleasure to be here. Do you know, I have got a thousand questions through my head and you can probably feel that. So can you just, for the very few people who don't know who you are, um, I'm sure there will be some people who don't know who you are, there'll be loads who do. Please, could you just share your your genesis, your story, how this all began, how you became Britain's most accurate psychic medium? <laughs> well, um, well, that was the Daily Mail who said that. I never, ever said that. But um, I think really it all stemmed for me from childhood, Teresa, where um, as a little boy, I did have c- certain episodes of psychic or spiritual encounters, I suppose, where people who had died unknown to me as a child would appear to me um, and sometimes pass messages. I had no real idea how that worked or even what it was. I would just report it back to my parents and it would often freak them out because of the accuracy of what was said. Yeah, I would tell them in an instance, you know, that one of the friends of the family appeared and he told me about a place called Dalbeth. And I was seven years old then. I had no idea what that meant. But my mum and dad both freaked out because they had buried him in a cemetery in Glasgow called Dalbeth. Um, And nobody knew about it because my mum and dad paid for his funeral. And they were pretty poor. My mum, well, working class, not poor. But so they didn't have spare money, money to spare. And so... They put this man in what could only be described as a pauper's grave because he had no family. But at least they were decent enough to pay something. But anyway, so he said, I'm happy in Dalbeth. And yet that's what I told them. And they couldn't believe this. They're like, what? Because they were embarrassed by it. So I suppose the evidence was really, I, I, I suppose, what made it stand out rather than just saying there's a man here. There was evidence, and even from a seven-year-old boy then, um, and, and that's where they kind of took it seriously. Like, there's something different about our son. 
Um, but lovely thing for me, Teresa, my mum and dad never made a deal of it. Some people with children who show psychic abilities get all nervous about it or they make the child do things like prove it and, oh, our child's psychic. I would never do that. I like the tact that my mum and dad showed and they just let me be a child. So whenever these random episodes would happen, they would listen to it. They would know there was something, but they let me play like a child after it and never made anything of it or made me feel different. Yeah, I mean, the environment we're brought up into is so crucial, isn't it, for, yes. for trusting in our in our inner psychic, inner medium and everything. And I'm so glad that your parents weren't fearful or doubting and just let you be you. Um, incredible. And also the humility you show as well, because often it is the media that give these striking terms. And yes. what I found with the, the most, you know, true mediums, they're always very humble and say, well, that's not what I say, it's what others say. So, so thank you for showcasing who you are there as well. And also, I love the fact that you were a, a barber, because yes. I've always felt when you go to the hairdresser, it, it's almost a bit like therapy, isn't it? And, and, and yeah. the best hairdressers are so empathetic and intuitive that maybe they are mediums without realising it. <laughs> I think so, Teresa. I mean, my career in hairdressing, because I was a ladies' hair, I was a barber, then I was a ladies' hairdresser for several years, then back to barbering again. And I loved every minute of every bit that I did. I think being a hairdresser was something that shaped me as a medium going forward because I was so comfortable with people that I didn't know. And as a medium, you had to sit with people you didn't know who had emotional problems. Well, that was just a Monday morning in the hairdresser. So <laughs> you just sat there and some stranger came in. They told you all the problems. You just made them look better and feel better and then sent them on their way. And a lot of my mediumship is people come to me who are very broken or very upset and I, I, I in some way make them leave my space feeling better about themselves and better about the plight that they're going through. And I think it's all about that. I'm not about special gifts or anything. If I have a special gift, it's about making people feel a bit better than when they did when they first met me. So... Oh, you certainly do. And as I say, whenever I go to the hairdresser and I sit there and I see all these hairdressers pouring themselves into their clients, they really do, yeah, don't they? Yeah. Good ones. And people leave feeling better. So what you've done, you've really just taken it to the next level, yes. you know, giving people a spiritual <laughs> haircut in a way. <laughs> plunge into the science because White Shores actually was founded in 2019, where I interviewed some of the world's leading scientists right. researching consciousness, like the likes of Dean yeah. Radin or Delorme. Cassie Vieta and Helena Wabe, Julian Mossbridge and Lauren Carpenter, all these people like really pioneering research mm. into the science of consciousness. So, and I, what I love about you, if you have been studied, you have had yes. the courage to put yourself forward by Professor Archie Roy in a series of experiments to determine your psychic yeah. potential. And that was published even in the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research, which is an organization I, I champion as much as I can. Could you talk about those those studies and what they asked you to do? Sure. Um, I mean, Professor Roy came along and saw me work uh, demonstrating mediumship in a Glasgow spiritualist church. Plus, I came recommended, I suppose, from some of the, the other organizations. So he wanted to see who the psychic barber was, as they were terming me. And um, and I think he liked the idea that I had a day job and that I was not, you know, a kind of celebrity medium or anything. I was a barber. So he liked that, uh, the down-to-earth approach, and he asked if I would take part in some tests that he was running on selected mediums, and me being one of the ten. And um, once we got started, he realised that what I was doing 
was having a better effect when we were doing like blind tests, double blind, and even he created a triple blind test for me because he said, this is incredible. You're actually able to pick up facts and details and true evidence for people who are not in the same country as you. And I said, oh, really? Because I wasn't privy to the, the results. So we would start with an ordinary kind of thing where I would give a demonstration. So there was always room for doubt. Could I be using, you know, cold reading, reading body language and all the stuff? Fair enough, people make that comment. And then he would remove people from me. And, of course, the evidence actually sometimes got better. And as I say, the triple blind test I did, I think it was 99% accurate of a woman who was sitting in a different city um, from me. Uh, so I couldn't see any of her responses or know anything. I couldn't read body language or cold reading. So it was purely from the evidence came straight from the other side. So he, he loved that. And it's seven years, six, seven years, we did that, Teresa. So it wasn't just a test and then said, oh, look, he did it. He had to repeat the test and then repeat the findings. And the statistics had to come into it. And so, I mean, uh, that's why it got published as a science paper. And I must say, I, I didn't feel myself brave. I think if you have a gift, you genuinely have a gift, you're never worried about it. If it doesn't work that day, it's not meant to work that day. If it does mean it work that day, then isn't it nice that it helps someone? Perfect. And I love how the universe works. Because you, you and I both share that we've both been regulars on This Morning, mm. ITV This Morning. And actually, the last time I was in, which was for Halloween, actually, I was talking okay. about those stories because so many people write to me to share that I, I mainly mm. go on there for dream coding but the, you know the makeup ladies when they they make yes. you look amazing <laughs> and she was saying I remember way back I can't remember his name I can't remember his name when there was two of them and there was a two-way debate and I love that because you got the skeptic and you got the practitioner mm. and she telling me about it because I, I wasn't actually as aware of it as I should have been um, and um, it was how kind of precogged it and then you know because I've done some work with helping parents heal and I'd like yes. to just thank the lovely Elizabeth Wasson uh, founder of helping parents heal an organization to help uh, bereaved um, parents connect with their children in spirit um she suggested you got to speak to gordon you're both british <laughs> and it was amazing how it happens isn't it this yes. synchronicity that this like a week or so before somebody mentioned you or encouraged yeah. me to research you out so you were on my mind as someone yes they really should be on white shores but it's quite hard with what with white shores because i i run it as a labor of love i do it when i can and and there's so many people that i want to talk to but it was really pushed into my consciousness and then Elizabeth did as well and it was just all fell together so please tell me about that. Professor Chris French who I'm also aware of he's someone I'd love to speak he's to because he's a parapsychologist and what you did on this morning because it really <laughs> is mainstreaming this isn't it well, yeah I mean Chris and I I think we're good pals um, he came on as the sceptic to have a go at me on several of these programmes, whether it be Richard and Judy this morning, all the different... You know when you're selling books and you're doing things in those days and you're the darling of the chat show, I became that person, a documentary person and whatnot. And um, I was on this morning... Not a darling, <laughs> So I was taken on, I'd asked to go on there and to talk about ghosts and things like this. And Chris and I, he said, I love your approach. He says, you take fear out of everything. And I said, there's nothing to be afraid of you but fear itself. So then we got asked, he said, I would love to challenge you on live TV. And I said, oh, God. I said, again? I said, do you know, I do these scientific tests, Chris. And he said, but please, would you have a go? I said, sure. Okay. 
And we went in there at whatever, five in the morning. I had to, all the skullduggery, the cloak and daggery stuff, you know, hide me in a room, don't let me see anyone, all of the stuff they do. And, of course, you have to comply. So I did that. And then they bring me in and a woman sits there and they blindfolded the people. And Chris goes in as a made-up psychic and he gives himself a funny name. And he does his reading, his cold reading as a psychologist, which he said would be more accurate than mine. And um, and I went in and I remember just casually walking in, sat down, introduced myself and gave the woman a reading, the same woman. And his was all consisting of generalities, which ironically he was accusing mediums of. And mine started by saying, oh, I have a man here, it's your dad, he died on the 8th of December. And he's singing the song Angie Baby to you. And she burst into tears and she said, that's my dad. My name's Angela and he used to sing that song to me. And he oh. did die in December and I said, okay. And then I carried on and that was it. So, of course, Chris doesn't know what I've done. I have no idea what he's done. And um, we did a couple of these readings. And in those days back then I used to smoke and I was outside the studio having a ciggy. He came out and said, oh, can I pinch a cigarette? I said, sure. And we started to chat and he said, how did you go on? And I said, yeah, just another day at the office, Chris. I said, how did you get on? He said, I think I did really well. Well, of course, when they went live and the results, the both women said, no, the first medium guy, psychic guy, he was just so general. He was rotten. And this is the second <laughs> guy. He was The other one I gave her an address where she lived in Essex. I remember something like, you live in such and such lane in Essex and your mother's here, something like that. And um, anyway, he was just blown away. And I remember, I think it was Philip Schofield saying, so how do you explain that, what he just did? And he says, I don't. And it was the lovely Fern, uh, Fern Britton back then, and she had said to him, um, uh, why, why didn't you just pick a bad medium? Why did you pick the best? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that's a, that's a point for going forward. But since then, to be honest, Chris asked me to come and lecture at Goldsmith University to the psychology students and things like that to talk about life after death. He really does take what I do seriously. And he, he said, you know, not every medium's like this because this guy doesn't actually have anything to hide. He just does it. And if he doesn't do it, he'll tell you it's not going to work. That's simple. Oh, that is so exciting. I absolutely love this. And I, I do applaud this morning for, you know, they're a very courageous yeah. program, aren't they? Because they, um, it is a controversial area, very you much. know, um, the afterlife yeah. and whether, you know, our consciousness survives bodily death, etc. all these things. And this morning, and I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm so grateful because like a year and a half ago, they just sort of, you know, because my dream dictionary does very well. And they said, let's do live dream decodings. And, you know, time and time I've been on when people call in about their dreams, and I love it because dreams are really spirit, aren't they? They're the yeah. First well, I mean, I, I had a dream column for years, uh, Teresa, and I loved working with people's dreams because I always believed oh. that dreams occur in what I call a thin place where two worlds meet. And therefore, yes. you know, there are certain times dreams are just dreams. Your brain's recycling all the stuff that you've been taking out of your brain for a while. You know, you see a place, you hear a person, all the stuff gets whatever nonsense but if you find yourself going into that altered state between two worlds quite often we can have an encounter with spirit uh, with yes. our loved ones with a guide with with something that is otherly but you know it is because you cannot get it out of your being that next day it's not just in your head it's through you now to me that's when your consciousness has actually been involved with a higher conscious being and it doesn't leave you it's what would you say? It's got a quality that normal dreams don't have. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And and what I love is as well that people who aren't necessarily wouldn't call themselves spiritual no. or people who are skeptics, but they still have dreams and they still want to talk about them. And for me, that's all I want is for people to understand that there's a part of us yeah. that is mysterious and may transcend time, space, body, mind and, and everything. And uh, dreams are, are wonderful, actually. Have you watched Slumber, Slumberland, the Jason Momoa I haven't, movie that's out? No, but I will. Um, I mean, I, it's 150 million. It's like Sandman as well. You know, dreams are, it's really like the mainstream is sort of catching on that we are, you know, spiritual beings. Well, I, I hope so. And I think the world's opening up spiritually to a degree anyway, because, I mean, for me as a young guy from Glasgow, brought up in a working class background, I mean, we, we barely had a religion or, that we would call a religion. You know, it was Protestants and Catholics and things like that. So I didn't I didn't get involved in that. There was always seemed to be trouble in that part of religion in that part of the country. So I stayed away from it. But as I got older and I started to develop through meditation and mindfulness practices and things, and it wasn't to develop mediumship because I don't think a medium has to develop mediumship. I think a medium has to develop their own self and they have to make a better version of themselves in order to be worthy of using the mediumship. So that's what I concentrated on when I did it. But equally with that, I didn't follow the spiritualist path because it was quite religious. Though I worked in spiritualist churches now and again. But I went and studied with Tibetan Buddhists. Um, we have a beautiful Tibetan centre in Scotland. And I would go there and learn about the mind and about mindfulness and consciousness. So f- where people were talking spirit, I was talking consciousness because I found that's real. And consciousness is in many layers, many levels. And sometimes it's apparent. And that uh, can actually be more apparent in a dream for for people who don't have a practice. Dream is when thing, two worlds can come together and two worlds can meet. So consciousness to me is so a living thing. And it, it, one of my, my important points that I try and get across to everybody, and it's hard to do it quickly, but <laughs> the thing about it is if you understand that your consciousness is a living thing that is always living, it cannot die. The body will, but if you understand that your consciousness is living, then you lose your fear of dying. And for anybody listening, to lose your fear of dying, guys, is to lose your fear of living. And that just makes you a completely different being. Oh, that is so profound. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I love the fact that you are all about empowering people to connect to this themselves and not necessarily to go to someone who can facilitate it for them because I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with people who are mediums and psychics if you don't mind me saying and you're Dougie they all <laughs> so sorry <laughs> but when, when you're doing something like this and you have dogs you have no control oh, I love I love dogs they are angels me too. I have mine here looking at me saying you, can you stop working? <laughs> I want I my work. And this work. It's a passion. But I mean, I, I love the fact that you are about empowering people to believe that they have it within yeah. them and not necessarily to become dependent on someone who can facilitate it for them. That's that's what I'm looking into now. Yes, yes. You know, there's an abuse of that, isn't there? Um, that can be abused. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the sad thing, um, Teresa, is that because it's now so open to people, um, it's – you know, it will attract every kind of people who are not yet maybe evolved enough and who may not even deliberately try and hurt people or, you know, hoodwink people. It's just that they're not overly, de- or they're not developed enough. Um, 
and and we've got to watch for that. So so in, in many ways, because there's no great regulator really, then you have to be as conscious as you can when you're working with the public. I do, and I, I, I set people down and I talk to them about just common sense and say, guys, listen, if you're going to work with other people, treat them the way you would expect to be treated. Don't don't throw horrible predictions at people that you cannot take back. For somebody to live with a bad message, a horrible piece of information. That's not good, and it's not good karma for you either, and you don't know that yet. So for me, I try and make everything as available to people, but in a common sense fashion and not some high spiritual language, because you just lose people with that. Absolutely, and also not encouraging dependency that people keep coming for their afterlife yeah, fix. That's it. And, you know, I do that for, I've done that for years, Teresa, because one of the things with me when I did one-to-one readings, I never charged for it. I don't mean I'm any better than any medium who does. I'm, I don't mean that. But because I had a day job, that was my job, and mediumship was a gift. So I, I felt I sat with people, but that also gave me the good grace to be honest to people when it didn't work. And one of the things I used to say to people when, when I did readings for them and they had a good message, you could feel it. It wasn't just the information. It touched them. And I'd say to them, will you do me a favour and don't go back to mediums now? Try and let this be the tool that takes you forward through your grief. Work with it to help you through your grief because don't make mediumship a crutch. You will not progress if you do that. So for me, as a good medium has to be able to also steer people away from it when the time is right. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. And as I'm going to release your episode as we ease into 2023, do you have a message for all White Shores listeners? <laughs> Something I know this is a really big thing, but you know, I'm just just you know because I would love to release it, in, you know, as 2023 happens. Mm. Um, powerful time when people are all thinking about new beginnings. We're entering into a new. We've left 2022. Those repeating twos behind. Yeah. Well, what do you feel that White Shores listeners need to? Well, I, I think going forward into 2023 and beyond. People look at everything in an everydayness type of thing, an ordinary way of, you know, is the world going to change? Well, they think that's going to happen overnight or in the first month, six months or a year. It's not. Even the whole changing of the vibration of the planet, um, if people think it happened in the 1960s, well, maybe that was the beginning of it. We're still moving through it. We live in a very actively alive universe and we are moving with the universe. So there's no need to get all scared and worried that the planet's all going to burn up and end and all of that. You know, don't. Too much of this fear that's in people's minds, what we need to start to do going forward is to get ourselves grounded in reality. So many people want to save the planet and have no idea it's the planet that will save us, as it has done all these times. So we need to then start respecting the planet a little bit more as we go forward, and she will look after us. But, you know, the one thing that I really need to get forward to people is that fear is the greatest cancer known to people, and we need to start getting over our fear, living with fear and working with it, accepting it and moving forward. We need to start to find the importance of living because dying isn't the opposite of living. It's a part of it. But you don't die. It's only a part of you guys. So going forward, look at life. Look at the alive part of you. That's the part that will go on. And that's the part we celebrate. And that's the part that will be the observer of everything you do going forward. The small part of you will feel crammed and contained and confined. Look up, guys. Whenever things are too much, look up. There's something bigger and more brilliant out there. 
and you just have to find it. Gosh, that's I'm going to play that over and over again. That's really motivating. Thank you and empowering. And I love the way you say look up yes. and this talk about this part of ourselves that is alive and yeah. is conscious. I, I do a lot of I've recently I've done a lot in precognition and connecting with your mm. future self time the timeless you know your long body over yeah. time that's your past your present your future what do you think about precognition and glimpsing your future and connecting with your future self well you know Teresa for me since I've been a child precognition has been a part of my life so therefore when I was something like 17 or 18 I started to read Stephen Hawkins A Brief History of Time and physics became so easy for me because I understood it almost at a quantum level so, so I, I, my son couldn't believe it. My son's a brainiac. He, he became, or he studied astrophysics as he got older at uni, and he couldn't believe that I was flying through books by Hawkins or Einstein or anything, Niels Bohr. And he's like, "Where are you getting this from?" And I said to him, "Son, I said, time itself is not what you think it is." And he's like, "Okay, please tell me how you see time." And I said, "Well, I don't see time. Time itself is." only limited by limited beings, that that needs to be measured. That that does not has no time but can come in and out of time. And he said, now you just sound like you've had a glass of wine. I said, no, <laughs> stay with me. I'm taking you on a journey. And I started to explain to him that if I'm in a meditative state, a true meditative state, not just closing my eyes and whatever, when I can go out into the atmosphere around me, Teresa, and this is where we go. We don't go in or down. That's hypnosis. We go out into the atmosphere, we become the atmosphere. And in the atmosphere, time doesn't exist. So you can either look back, you can be in the moment, in the now, or you can look forward. And all of these are timelines. And these timelines can be changed. So you can have many different potential endings or happenings, depending on your choices and actions. So knowing where you are really means you know where you're going or you have the choice to know where you're going. So that also means you know where you've been. So you need to know where you've been to know where you are, and you need to know where you are to know where you're going. And all of this requires you to at least stop for a moment and consider your bigger self, your higher self. It was put beautifully, I think, I couldn't put it better myself than um, Marianne Williamson when she said, our deepest fear is not that we are insignificant. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And with that comes the responsibility. But I tell people, the future you can write the next chapter if you can take hold of the pen of your soul and write the next episode for yourself. Don't wait for it to happen. Oh, the pen of your soul. That sounds like a book title. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. What was your reflections on Most Haunted? How did you find it? I suppose you have to be careful here what you say. No, not really, because once again, I, I think you just be honest about things, and the truth itself is always the clearest picture, I believe. And I, I went on to Most Haunted, and the God's Honest Truth was my publisher said, if you do it, you'll sell more books. And that was the reason why I did it. Um, I'd never seen the programme. I met with the guys, Yvette and her husband. They were lovely. They were very nice to me. I always laughed and joked with them. I'm quite a happy person. So even, I mean, it, that was my most difficult thing, was not laughing. Because when we went into a so-called haunted building, well, I have absolutely no fear. And you cannot talk to ghosts. Ghosts are a memory, so how can you talk to a ghost? You can't. You see all these people shouting at ghosts, Mary, come and talk to us. And you're like, well, Mary's a ghost. Mary has no intelligence. So I couldn't find myself do things like that, but I would find it quite funny. Um, and and what, what ghost hunters need is an education on what a ghost is and what a spirit is. 
why would a spirit still be in a house? <laughs> you know, 300 years later, that just makes no sense. <laughs> so I found it difficult to connect with the actual premise of the programme. But, I mean, I tried to, to do the best I could, and I realised after six or seven episodes, this is not me, guys, I, I can't do this. Um, but I had a great relationship with everybody. Uh, met Derek a few times, though he had left, and got on great with everybody because, for me, People are people and we don't judge or make, you know, difference with them when we can actually educate or make understanding between us. Or we build bridges, we don't knock them down, I suppose. So I Absolutely. liked it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, me too. Actually, you know, as I was, you know, I suppose for a year or two I was, I was involved in it. And again, for me, it was all about fun and they were yeah. bringing fun yeah. into something that was considered taboo and 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 somehow I felt that was good. I, I agree with you. That it was great fun, wasn't it? It was oh, yeah. exciting. But, you know, one of my things with that was, and, and something I, I've written a programme myself, which I, at some point I will be doing, it's called Give Up the Ghost because <laughs> I really feel that fear itself, I, I, I'm the opposite of fear, Teresa, where people have fear, I have to educate them and say, that can't harm you or that's not a spirit or so I wanted to do a program which I am at some point soon going to be doing I hope um, and healing these situations if somebody's frightened somewhere you do not want to go in and make them worse you want to go in and take that fear away from them and that's exactly what I do so having no fear of the paranormal or the unknown you know I've got a great theory there's no such thing as a haunted house just haunted people remove the people from it it's just a house Research that's come out haunted person syndrome, isn't it? Well, yeah, I I, I could have told them that years ago. They're recognizing that mental health professionals are recognizing that it's part of the human experience, it's It's the big part of the experience. It does put you on edge, you need to have that kind of mindfulness, it's like sharp mindfulness sometimes. Fear is something, and pain are parts of the human experience, and we need to understand them, but we also need to accept them and live with them. Uh, makes your life journey easier if you understand you're not uh, a victim of pain. Pain happens to all of us if we live to be old enough, and so does fear, and so does loss. All of these things are part. They're not punishments. It's not karmic. It's living and dying as being part of the same cycle. So when we can educate people on that, hopefully we can remove a bit of the fear. That is my job in life. Is to I sometimes feel like I'm an emotional lifeguard that I I, I have to pull people out of the emotional waters. I don't go in with them. I don't get sympathetic or empathic. I just pull them out. Um, so that's my job: is to pull people out of the emotional sea. Oh, it's 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 a wonder, really. You are a wonder, oh, uh, Gordon. Know. And and uh, and I love give up the ghost. That is great. Give up the fear. Yeah. You know, and 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 connect to that part of you that is alive. Would well, you know what I've always said, Teresa? Sorry, there to interrupt you. But one of my theories was, which I put to some of these TV companies, was if somebody gets scared by going into a supposedly haunted place, how then will they react if we take them to a beautiful place, say like Lourdes or a spiritually empowered place? Will they equally react, but only in a beautiful way or a healing way? Absolutely. I love that you're doggy. This is the other one. This is Elizabeth Taylor. Um, Sorry about this, but when you're doing these things, these animals just react. They they always say, never work with animals, animals as children. They do. It's like they sense it. They are natural empaths. And you do a lot of work about, you know, know, animals going on in spirit as well, which I agree with more. Mm. I mean, 
I don't think we deserve animals sometimes. No, I'm, yeah. for, for many, many years I worked for uh, Care for the Wild and all the big animal charities, and we used to raise money and awareness, myself and a, a world vet called uh, Dr. Bill Jordan, beautiful man, educated us all on animal uh, emotions and things. And for me it was so important because consciousness is consciousness. When I once wrote a book called Animal Magic and I was on a TV show, typical morning TV show talking about the book and a, and a priest came on, a Catholic priest in, in Dublin and he said, well the church hasn't yet decided whether animals have an eternal soul and I said, with the greatest of respect to you sir and your belief, I think this goes higher than the church <laughs> everybody just looked at me oh, how can you talk to your priest? and I thought, no, 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 seriously guys I have the right to speak based on my knowledge and experience, of course I do Well I agree if my doggies and hat, cats aren't in heaven um, I don't want to go. <laughs> well, what kind of heaven would there be with her love, lovely pets? Oh, it, they they are, you know, like a soul. And I love watching people when they walk their dogs as well. Yes. These dogs kind of like mirror them, don't yeah. they? No God the could be so cruel as to give his love like that, unconditional love, and then remove it for all eternity in a heaven. That would be cruel. <laughs> it would be super cruel. Now, you, you've touched on some of your books in this conversation, mm. but for people who, who want to have an introduction to you, what's the book that they start with? I would probably say Spirit Messenger which was the first book I did uh, way back, 20 years ago or something, um, or Unbelievable Truth, which is just my, my kind of take on the whole mediumistic thing. And a down-to-earth, common-sense book. It's a good guide because a lot of people get emotional when they touch these things. And that's natural. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But what I'm meaning is your emotion can pull you off in a different direction. The whole idea is about getting grounded in a reality, but whilst opening up spiritually. And that way you're finding a nice form of balance. You're not too high, you're not too low, you're somewhere in the middle. And that's how I hope people approach this thing, whether it's through my books or anybody's books. Absolutely. And you're mesmerising to listen to. So do you still give talks um, <coughs> or you're active online now? What, what, have, what, how do you... You know, because I, I would love to come. I haven't been to one of your talks, actually. I would love to. I still do. I mean, obviously, like everybody else with the pandemic, I ended up re referring all my live talks to Zoom. But um, I also, I mean, I have online courses that I do for a group called Unity. And these teach people from right from the start, everything in the, the, the that field from acupuncture to Zen, the E to Z of it. So I teach people really how to go about these things, how to meditate properly, how to know what's real and what's not real, what's mind and what's what's actually fantasy, stuff like that. So I do that for a company called Unity. Got, with Hay House, my publisher, I've written 20-odd books. I've got more books written by other publishers. It goes on and on and on, Teresa. I get bored listening to myself say it sometimes because it goes on. <laughs> but the most recent thing, so yeah, I do live talk. It'll probably be on my website, Gordon Smith Medium. Um, I think that's my website. I never even go on it, so that's how much I know. <laughs> yeah, I've never looked at my website in 20 years, so I don't even know what it looks like. <laughs> so if people wanted to contact you, find out about you, is that the place to go? I that or they'll find go. me on Facebook, Gordon Smith Medium. Um, they probably find me on Facebook, Instagram and all these things, as, as people do these days. But, you know, one of the loveliest things I've done, and it relates to the name of your programme, which I can't believe. I love this synchronicity. Just recently, I, I've sent 10, 12 paintings down to Wales. I'm doing my first ever art, art exhibition, and most of the thing I paint are white shores. Isn't that strange? Oh. 
Isn't that strange? Yeah. No, it's. I love these synchronicities, and of course, White Shores is actually because of my love, Lord of the Rings. Rings you know, of White Shores, yeah. yeah, the unseen land. Absolutely. And that leads me to the point in the episode when I'm going to give you your Lord of the Rings quote, and I'd love you to, after that to to leave listeners of White Shores um, with some more wisdom, sure. a tip, or movie quote or a quote from one of your books anything um but I think the, this is fellowship of the ring i just felt it kind of summed you up and jrr talking for me that's a book of wisdom that wow. the lord of the rings yeah, it is actually yeah. <laughs> here we go and here in rivendell there live still some of his chief foes the elven wise lords of the elder from beyond the further seas they do not fear the ring race for those who have dwelt in the blessed realm live at once in both worlds, and against both the seen and the unseen, they have great power. Wow, how we add to that would be as simple as this then, that spirituality has been to me, in common with others, such a lifting of the mental horizons and letting in of the heavens, a formation of faith into fact that I can only compare my life before it to that of travelling on board a ship beneath decks with all hatches fastly battened down, living like a prisoner by the light of a candle, until one splendid starry night, being allowed for the first time onto the top deck to witness the stupendous mechanism of the heavens all aglow with the glory of God. Beautiful. And of course, 2022 um, was the year we got those images from NASA, didn't we? Yes. The James Webb. Um, deeply spiritual moment that when those and they were saying this is so much more infinite and mysterious and deep than we and timeless than we can we ever realize before. it really is i i don't know why people are not so excited about living in this time that we live in i mean it's an incredible time for the whole world to shut down at the same time come on it's, it's, yeah. big things are happening in the sky big things are happening in the world and it's like people need to stop making it small and ordinary it's not it's huge, guys. Open up your hearts and minds. Oh, Gordon Smith, thank you for my heart and soul for all that you are and do. Well, let's do something else again, Teresa. You're a gorgeous soul. You really are somebody easy, easy to talk to and work with. Oh, thank you from my heart, Gordon. My pleasure, my love. Thank you from my heart and soul for being here and walking beside me in spirit on white shores. Sensitive, kind, compassionate souls like you who see beyond the material are needed more than ever today to help this earth heal and evolve. If you have any questions, stories or insights to share, I absolutely love hearing from you and aim to reply to everyone in due course. My website is www.teresachung.com. My contact email is angeltalk710 at aol.com. And you can message me via my Instagram handle, the Teresa Chung, as well as my Facebook and Twitter author pages. Until we meet again on these white shores, keep being amazing spiritual you, sending my eternal love and gratitude.